Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Every year, one thing is always predictable: postage costs go up. Stamps.com gives you crazy discounts of up to 89% off USPS and UPS services, so your business will barely notice the change. Stamps.com has been indispensable for over 1 million businesses just like yours. It's like your own personal post office. No lines, no traffic, no waiting. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. Welcome to the Story Studio. Oh yeah, here we go. Check it out now. Hi, welcome to the Story Studio, a podcast where an independent publishing company explores the world of self-publishing, independent art, and the future of storytelling. My name's Daniel Wilcox, and today I'm joined by... Luke Condor. That's okay, get it right. (laughs) I love how we always say that as if it's a surprise. And today we're joined by... And it's just the other person that has been part of the podcast since the beginning. Well, Ben Ben used to do a few of these shows, didn't he? But I think um, I think we've settled into a groove now. So Ben is doing a horror hangout, and that's kind of his his thing, and, and this is your thing, and I'm I'm split between the two. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'll, I'll spread my legs into various podcasts. I don't mind. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that got graphic real quick. Yeah. Um, how, how's how's your writing week been going? Uh, yes, yeah, so this is going to play into my uh, uh, big whoop for the week, so I'll just go straight into it. So uh, I've gone on about it way too much in the past. I made a short film called Keep a while ago, two years ago now. Did all right, did some festivals and stuff and got uh, people chattering on the internet. And I finally decided, after. so we did a screening in London um, two weeks ago now, and the, the amount of people who are like, okay, so when are you doing the, when are you making the film, when are you making the feature film, or when are you making the second one? And I just kept saying, I don't know, it's not really, not really planned to do that. Uh, but it just got me thinking, and I was already getting the film mood. So, um, and after the chat with Harry last week, <laughs> wink. Um, <laughs> so uh, I decided to, uh, d- decided to make Keith the feature film, which would be like Hawk and Cleaver's first feature film. It's, we don't know how it's going to turn out, but you know, you just have to sort of go for it, really, and that's essentially what we're doing. And how how are you funding that? How are you doing that? <laughs> well, um, <laughs> there is a Patreon set up. Um, it's under my name. It's patreon.com forward slash Luca Condor. I'm not really expecting it to, uh, you know, be funded completely through that, but it's just money to pay for software fees. Uh, maybe a bit if, if, if I have to, if I have to get an actor up, it will like maybe cover uh, transport fees because this film is um it's going to be completely micro budget. Like mm. if like um, I'm really inspired by uh, Ben Wheatley's Down Terrace, which is made for seven grand. Uh, Robert Rodriguez's El Mariachi is made for seven grand. Uh, Primer, which is made for like a I think something Lewis was like one thousand dollars. Um, so I really want to make that first super micro budget feature film, and hopefully. We can either sell it or use it as leverage to get some more meetings or, you know, 
don't know, hopefully it'll do something for us. Yeah, yeah, I think it's I think it's really, really exciting. Like the original is is fantastic. So to see that, or to see what ideas you have to bring that to a full feature film is going to be quite interesting. Yeah, yeah. Thanks, man. Yeah. What about you? Oh, that's, by the way, that's patreon.com forward slash Luke Condor. Don't feel pressured, but please do. Okay. Uh, <laughs> what about you, man? What are you? Uh, what's your big work? Uh, my, so my big group is that I'm off to go see um, an English poet called Harry Baker. Who, have you heard of this guy? It rings a bell. But he least, was, I say he, that to any any, <laughs> any name I go. Yeah, it, it's definitely it. a name that could be in a combination that I've come across at some point in my life. I've heard um, of it. I've not heard it. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, Harry Baker's a a award winning international slam poet champion. Mm. Um, and I've got a good friend in Lincoln who's kind of um, making making huge waves out on the the poetry scene, and she started booking um, a couple of high profile poets to come down to to Lincoln to do a monthly show, and he's the next one. And I'm a big fan of all of his stuff. I've seen a lot of it on YouTube, and he's just a cool guy. Um, he actually got involved. I think it was last year with do you know the Don't Flop guys that do the rap battles. So when you talk about spoken uh, word, uh, I, I, I don't. <laughs> I've heard of them, I think. I don't think I've heard them. <laughs> Fair enough. But yeah, no, they, um, hmm. he, he kind of got involved in them and got into a bit of, bit of rap as well. But um, I'm excited to see him live, but also at the fact yeah. that um, because my one of my good friends is running it, that I will probably be meeting him after and having a bit of a, a natter with him too. So nice. just be cool. Because I'm a big fan of poetry, in not in its kind of contentious, like, when when well, people when you said rap yeah. then now I, I kind of feel like that spoken word is like and rap are like kind of intermingling in in, in a way nowadays like when I, I don't think i think before we used to think poetry that sounds like old women in flowery dresses on a summer's oh, day oh god the window yields the yeah. light but now i think of scroobius pip and i think of yeah Bo and like those like cool funny kind of spoken word people it's very cool yeah yeah i think and, and to be honest it's that's the kind of clever wordplay that I absolutely love. Yeah. Um, like Bo Burnham and Watsky and, and all those kind of guys. Um, but yeah, I mean, poetry's always had a bit of a place in my heart. I, I, I go to a few poetry nights here and there, and a lot of them are full of, I don't want to stereotype people because I know not everyone's like this, but a big chunk of people are the older generation who are very bound on their, I'm going to you know, talk about fields and, and my day yeah. in the yeah. most basic rhythms for about 10 minutes. Stanza. I know that's a word. Stanza. uh, What's it called? Stanza. Stanza. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Not Stanza stuff. Just showing off my poetry knowledge. But yeah. um, So I I just love like the whole wordplay of it, the whole just being creative and expressive with it. And he did um, his favorite poem that I've heard. He did one that you'll have to listen to. I think it's called um, Paper People. Paper, Um, Paper People. Paper people and the whole poem is just basically playing with the P sound, and it's just yeah. so so intelligent. Um, so yeah, that's that's something that I'm looking forward to is potentially meeting him and, and having a bit of chat, but at least seeing him live. Would you ever do anything like that yourself? Get on stage and drop some knowledge words? <laughs> yeah, I've done it a few. I've got a few of um, my own that I've done myself. Um, I have I have one that has been on a couple of blogs that I put up a couple of times, but I've done it live, um, which. I think it's the one that I'm proudest of because I haven't written that many and I keep just using it for, like just all the time. But it's called Hobnob Gobbling. I've heard of that. I've uh, read it, I think, uh, on Steam. Yeah. Um, there you my, go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My friend is a, a member of like a, from like a London spoken word thing called Mouthy Poets or something like that. I don't know. 
something about Malfi. Um, okay. Uh, but they're meant to be, they'd like do tours and stuff. And they're all very cool people. I kind of feel like poetry is now hip. Yeah. I don't think the word hip is particularly hip. But, no, but it's trendy. Are. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Cool. Uh, um, sounds good though, man. Hmm. Yeah, so excited for that. So um, we are going to be speaking to Monica Lionel, who um, is a very wonderful nonfiction and fiction author um, from the US. Um, and I'm not going to ruin her intro now because we're going to do another intro in a second. But we've uh, we've got a lot to talk about with her. So any last words before we go into Oh, OK. Uh, Patreon.com forward slash Luke of Condor. <laughs> That's... Uh... <laughs> That's my last words. I'm a dying breath. I'll, I'll utter those words. There you go. So enjoy the interview, guys. Yes. Today we are talking about writing better and faster with Monica Leonel. Uh, Monica is a USA Today bestselling author, best known for her young adult urban fantasy and paranormal romance series, Waters Dark and Deep. She also helps us little indie authors out with her non-fiction book series, Growth Hacking for Storytellers. These books will help you write better, faster, will help you nail your storytelling craft, help you dictate your book, build a better publishing business, get your book selling, all this stuff you should be reading and you should be into if you're an indie publisher or self-published author. And uh, get this, she lives in a very, very old three-story home in St. Louis, Missouri, I want to say, M.O., Missouri, I think, uh, with her husband in Westy Mia. It possibly has ghosts and definitely has a secret passage. <laughs> Welcome to the show, Monica. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. It's awesome to be here. Awesome. So before we go any further, can I quickly just touch on, have you found a secret passage or is this just something that you're guessing exists? <laughs> no, it's definitely there. Um, it's it's very weird. It goes, it's in my husband's office and it goes from the, uh, it's, it's in the floor. So it goes down into the second floor bathroom. And so we don't know what it was for, but um the previous owners, they had to close it off. So it used to have like a little trap door and everything, but they had little kids, so they couldn't, yeah. they couldn't just like leave a secret passage <laughs> <laughs> open in the house. <laughs> what about Did you know about this before you moved in? Um, y- yes. Yeah. Was yeah. It why um, you moved the, in? Did you, did you like, this, oh, yeah. I need a secret passage in a house. I'm gonna look yeah. Anywhere. That's yeah. literally the only reason. <laughs> yeah. I'm imagining a Scooby-Doo moment where you pull a book on a shelf and it just opens up. <laughs> that would be even cooler. But, um, yeah, it's not quite as cool as I would like, but no, it's, it's an interesting talking point. Yeah. But what, what, so just quickly as well, the ghosts, um, are they, what's good? <laughs> you so, you know, um, I don't think there are ghosts, um, because I think I would have like met one by now hmm. because I've lived here. So I've lived here since October of last year. And so now it's like August of, so I'm, I've lived here almost a year. Yeah. So yeah, I, I think I would know, um, one of my friends did offer to like, so I guess you can like, um, you can get ghosts out of your house if you like just put a little uh, trail of salt all the way around, but it has to be like a connected circle, and then you can you can like do a little ritual inside the circle of salt and like ward out all the ghosts and like spirits and everything. So I did have a friend who offered to come down and do that, <laughs> but. Um, she did. She she hasn't come yet, so yeah. I don't know. I mean, we're we're kind of open, I guess. Yeah. Somebody I did that wants... in my house to keep out the slugs. Did you? <laughs> yeah. Ghost slugs. Yeah. I, I, I may need I to do it like... just because of uh, Oscar, our cat. Like he stares in the corners of the rooms, like as if he's staring at something, like as if like someone's there, and I have no idea what he's staring at. 
and it's freaking yeah. me the hell out. <laughs> yeah. So I may need to yeah. do it at some point. Yeah, definitely. It's all so, around. <laughs> yeah. So, um, Monica, do you want to give our listeners a little flavour of who you are, what you do, and where you come from? Just a little bit of background on who you are. Sure. So, um, uh, a background on my career. <laughs> Sorry, I'm a little distracted by the salt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's, let's go for career. Okay, cool. Um, so I started, uh, I, I was a blogger for a couple of years from like 2007 to 2009. And then I started writing nonfiction. And so I put out a book in 2009 about social media marketing. And my goal was at that time, I wanted to change careers from being a software engineer to being, um, I wanted to go into digital marketing for corporations. And so what I did is I basically used a book to do that. And at the time I decided to um, do independent publishing instead of go for a traditional publishing deal because I just wanted things to happen quickly. And at that time it was like, if you got a book deal, it was going to be like two years before your book would come out. And by then, like a lot of the stuff would have changed and like, it's just a totally different um, set of knowledge. So I was, I was just like, I'm going to put it out myself. And so I did that in 2009. I made the switch um, in careers. So it was pretty, it was kind of a smart tactic. Um, and well, really just in the sense that it worked. So like I'd have, I had like a one page resume and that's like all my, all my like mark or not marketing, but all my technical background. But then at the bottom, it was like, Anna wrote this book, you know, and it kind of had the, um, the name. And so then that really piqued a lot of employers interest. Uh, I would put in my, uh, cover letter, like, I'm happy to send you the book if you're interested. And so, you know, people would take me up on that and they would get the book and they would read it and they were like, yes, we want to hire you. So it was just this amazing, uh, opportunity. And so I was able to shift really quickly in my career. And then I was like, a, you know, kind of what you like, kind of what you would expect at that time. So every corporation was trying to hire like a 25 year old millennial to run their Twitter account, you know? So, and that's basically what I became. So I became like the director of digital marketing at, um, like one of these, uh, Inc 100 companies. So it was, it was pretty cool. And so then from there I got, I kind of just got this like independent publishing bug. Um, so I started writing fiction and started publishing that way. And that was when Amanda Hawking and John Locke and, um, like all these people were starting to make really big money with their fiction. Um, and so I kind of just continued on that path and, um, you know, that's, that's really what I've been doing for the last eight years. Um, you know, I obviously had jobs, so I was full-time for a while. And then I moved to freelance writing and, um, like marketing consulting for a while as well. And then when I finally had the income, I moved to just doing, uh, doing writing full-time. So yeah, that's what I've been up to. So, uh, 2009, so we, we first published that, uh, that nonfiction book was, 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 uh, the Kindle store like a thing then was, was it, was it as we know it now or was we, oh, no. yeah. So back then the big hot thing was print on demand. Right. And so it used to be like right before the print on demand revolution, it used to be that you had to, um, buy like 1500 to 2000 of your books. Um, and they would be like sitting in a garage and you would have to like put them in the back, you know, the trunk of your car and you'd be selling them out the trunk of your car was kind of the, um, 
the stereotypical way to, you know, do it. So it was all like, um, it was all paperback and hardcover and hand selling. And, uh, so what I had tried to do, and this also actually worked is that when I had that nonfiction book, I decided to go out for like a bunch of speaking gigs as well. So I was like, I'm going to try to become a paid speaker. So I charged like it was actually kind of ridiculous. Like when I think about it, but I charged like $5,000 because there were all these speakers who get paid like 10,000, $25,000 a speech. So I was like, well, I'm like 25. <laughs> so I'm going to charge like $5,000. But then I would be like, well, I'll, you know, I would contact people and I'd be like, well, I'll waive like a portion of my fee. If you, um, if you sell my books at your, um, at your conference or whatever, or if you buy a bunch of books and put them in the grab bags or, or not grab bags, swag bags. Um, yeah. So, so that actually worked as well. Um, Wow. And it was a great way. It was a great way to, cause so then I became, so then I not only had a book, I was also a paid speaker. Um, even though I was, you know, not You're charging 25, it's, it's still 25. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Like, okay. like 25, 26, 27. Yeah. So this is like my, like my mid to like later twenties that I was doing this. Um, but that actually, you know, it opened a lot of doors for me. So it was a really smart way to, uh, build a career and, and it worked and that's what I ended up doing. How useful was the speaking in relation to your writing? Was it a case of networking with people or is it more sort of the content that you were talking about and your speaking translated into the stuff that you wrote about? Yeah, I think it was both. I mean, definitely my speaking had to do with my book, but the thing about a book that's great is that you kind of write out all your ideas like you're not confused about like, what's my message or, you know, what are, what's like my top 10, you know, best points about this. You already know all that. So you can pull a chapter out of your book and like, that can be a speech. And then you can be like, and then the great thing is like, um, you're like, well, obviously we couldn't cover an entire book's worth of material in this, you know, 45 minute speech. So now like go buy my book. Um, and you don't say it like that, but it, it, <laughs> They lead in really nicely to each other. Um, and, and I think also for whatever reason, being like a young person and being a paid speaker that like just branding wise, that really like attracted a lot of um, like yeah. employers and opportunities. I don't know many. Uh, I mean, Dan, you're different. You're like a different animal altogether. But like, I don't know many, <laughs> like, many like 25 year olds who would have the confidence to I mean, how long were these speaking gigs? Were they like 20 minutes? Were they like an hour? Like how long were they, were they going on for? Oh my gosh, yeah. Yeah, one of them was an hour. I was actually oh. like a key. I just had a little <laughs> heart attack. Very- <laughs> it was really stressful. So I had like this keynote speech. At, it was like out in California to like a bunch of, um, it was like bookstore, um, bookstore owners. And it was like this bookstore association in California. So I flew out and like, I'm doing my, I'm doing my speech, but I get up there and I like, I had like a moment of panic where like, I literally, it was so awkward. It's like, I literally couldn't speak. And so it's just in front of like all these people. And I'm like, oh my God, they're totally going to know that like, I'm not really like a professional speaker. Cause I never, I never took any like speaking lessons like I never yeah. did any of that because you don't have to you don't have to do that to get to land like 
the gig, I guess. So basically I was better at selling it than I necessarily, like I didn't really have the chops to maybe deliver, um, the, the kind of consistent, uh, thing that that people expect but but I did recover so I I had like like five seconds of like literally could not speak and then I started speaking and then um it it was fine like the crowd kind of the crowd gets like very nervous with you yeah and then because they're like oh my god she's choking she's choking and then they kind of (laughs) yeah yeah, then like I started speaking and I guess I don't know I guess I was confident enough and they kind of like you could just see like the whole crowd being like ah like okay if you ever have like a heckler like I, I, I doubt you get this. <laughs> yeah, no, actually. So that was the one where I did. I sort of had a heckler. Like he basically, he just raised his hand and he was like, you know what you're saying about Twitter. Um, and he's trying to ask a question. And then finally he's like, I just don't think it would work. <laughs> and I was <laughs> like, the whole, yeah. Yeah, like the whole crowd laughed <laughs> and I was like, well, you know, and so I, and I laughed as well because it was just kind of funny. Um, and I was like, well, you know, blah, blah, blah. And so I kind of just like let him be like, OK, cool. Like I didn't try to argue with him of like, you know, I was like, well, yeah. I understand. I didn't convince you. Twitter I is disagree. really new. Still. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> like, like, I was like, well, Twitter is still really new and you yeah. can, um, you know, all of this stuff is coming up still. So even if it's not working now, like this is best practices for the future. So I was just kind of like BSing it some more. And yeah, it was, <laughs> it was an interesting time period. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So going, so going from all of that, how did you end up um, going from your nonfiction speaking and your writing into your fiction works? Cause you also brand it under the same name, don't you? You don't use a pen name or anything for, for your two different sites. Yeah. So, um, the branding is just, uh, it's possibly a mistake to a branded under two, but, um, but I, and now I'm kind of just keeping it that way. Um, yeah, I guess, I guess what happened is I was just more excited about the fiction. So I had this story, um, which is waters dark and deep is the series, which you mentioned earlier. Um, I've kind of, I basically been working on that story since like 2008. Um, but mostly in my mind. So mm-hmm. not, so I had like a first iteration of it that came out in 2011 and it didn't do that well. Um, so then I've pulled it since and like, uh, relaunched it, uh, which is kind of the newer stuff. Um, but it, it took a really long time to get there and it, it really just came down to, um, I just liked fiction more and I, uh, I wanted, um, so I, I did enjoy the corporate lifestyle, but I also wanted a lot more freedom in my life. And I, I, um, I realized pretty quickly I was a bit better at like sales and marketing than, um, and creating than, you know, kind of like office politics and some of that other stuff. Um, and I also, (laughs) I also wanted to be an entrepreneur. So that was another big thing for me. Um, and yeah, I just, I just wanted to do something different. So, so how long was it from you, uh, you know, doing the side hustle, as it were, doing the the, the, the fiction or whatever on the side to uh, being able to make the the leap to full time entrepreneurship. Yeah, um... <laughs> did you deliberately mispronounce that? Where? Well, how do you how do you pronounce it? Entrepreneurship is that what you said? I said. Oh, I tried to make it more dramatic. So entrepreneurship. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, that's <boom. laughs> there's, there's quite a lot. There's quite a few words where you know, as a as a reader, you you pronounce them a certain way in your head 
and you say them out loud for the first time and people look at you like what what does that yeah. mean <laughs> but uh, <laughs> yeah maybe not, i don't know yeah sorry go on, go on monica oh it's no problem um okay so when did i leap okay so i think i quit corporate in 2011 and but I switched to freelancing like pretty quickly and I was still doing like like I would do like these three-month contracts with um basically the same company that I had already that like I had originally worked full-time for like the same type of company so like I was working for I was working full-time for these tech startups and then I switched over to doing like three to six month contracts for these tech startups basically. And so I, I might not be working like full time for them, but I'm working, you know, 25, 30 hours a week. Mm. And, um, and that did, that basically just freed up sometimes. So I always say to people, like some people, they really want to like, Oh, I want to quit my nine to five and be a full-time fiction writer. And I'm, I'm kind of like, well, that's great, but that's just not how it happened for me. For me, I had to like free up some of my time first, and then I was able to kind of invest my time into, um, my business. And then, um, it was still like a couple years. I think it was 2015 when I, um, or maybe 2014, yeah. it, it was, it was, I can't remember, but, but, um, I, th it, I don't know. Okay. So we'll just say 20, <laughs> we'll say 2015, 2015 was about when I, um, stopped taking on freelancing jobs at all. Um, but that said, I still, so I, I had kind of a more solid platform. I was making like, um, anywhere between like 3000 to 5,000 a month from my, um, from my whole portfolio, not just from fiction. So I have like I had like some romance that did well, um, in 2014, I had some nonfiction stuff that did well in 2015, I think, or yeah, I don't, I don't remember. Um, but so, I, so it's like kind of my whole portfolio and I have, you know, over 20 books and, uh, so, so it was at that point that I said like, okay, I'm making like three to five grand. Um, but since then I've really added other stuff. Um, so like I said, I used to, you know, I did speaking, I did, um, I, I did, uh, nonfiction stuff. So I I've done like courses and, um, I'm actually going to be doing some workshops coming up. So I'm going to, uh, 16 cities in, in like four or five months, um, or over the course of four or five, four to five months. Mm. And I'm doing a workshop in those cities. So I'm selling tickets to that. Um, so, so yeah, so I've incorporated other stuff as well because I, to me, so three to five grand, I think that's a good amount, but the problem with, um, writing and selling books is that it's a pretty small amount of money you're getting per customer, um, for, you know, so, so you have to have a lot of customers basically. Yeah. And so to sustain that month to month to month, you know, I, I, I think a lot of people, they are so excited to hit that point, that three to five grand, but then it, you know, some months it goes down to like two grand or 1500 or, you know, and so for me, that's just not, that wasn't stable enough. Yeah. Um, and I didn't want to put so much pressure on myself to like get a fiction book out every single month or, you know, stuff that stuff that mo a lot of people who are very successful right now, they're, you know, they're putting out fiction books like pretty regularly. Yeah. So, yeah. So I mean, what would you say like, um, would be like the biggest levers that like push you uh the biggest step forwards in your publishing career to go 
from maybe not making so much to get to that point where you're hitting the, the five grand months and uh, and that kind of thing. Yeah. I mean, if you're so like the number one thing is you have to, um, improve your writing habits and writing speed like that, or at least, well, I'll just tell you for myself. So like what changed for me is in 2013. So like before 2013, I was maybe writing like a book a year and sometimes it wasn't a very big book. Sometimes it was like a novella, um, like 30,000 words. And so to me, that's, really not enough to get momentum. Um, so what I did is I was like, again, I was working in freelancing and taking freelance writing jobs. And I was, I was writing like maybe 900 words per hour. And I thought that was awesome. Like I was like, this is fast. Like this is great. Um, but then I would talk to these other freelance writers and they're like, yeah, we write like 3000 words per hour. And I, I mean, my mind was blown by that. I couldn't believe it. I was like, how would I even get there? That's like, you know, they're literally doing like, like three times what I do (laughs) (laughs) in the same amount of time. And I just couldn't believe it. But basically it just showed me what was possible. Um, And so I decided, you know, if they can do it, I can too. Like, I'm going to go learn how to do this. And so that's, uh, that's really what my, um, my first book in the growth hacking series is about is write better faster. And it's about that journey that I took to learn how to do this. And it was like, um, so in 2013, I just decided like, I'm going to, I'm going to fix my writing speed. I'm going to fix my writing habits. I'm going to document it all. I'm going to stay accountable. And that's what I did. And then in 2014, that's when I, I, um, was able to publish eight books and one short story. And that, like I said, like around 2014, like, or early 2015 is about when I stopped taking freelancing clients. And that's when I had like, you know, that three to five grand coming in, like, you know, month to month, like consistently. And that to me, that was the change. Um, you go from writing one book to writing eight books, like that's going to make a really big difference in your momentum. So, yeah. So I think that that's the number one. And then the second thing that I'm seeing right now is just that attention is just getting more and more expensive. And so it used to be like back in 2009, it was like, there were all these free ways that you can get attention online and like, um, and you could do digital marketing on like Twitter and like a million people would see it. And, you know, you could do like these viral campaigns and that's not really the case anymore. It is pretty much pay for play in most, um, most industries that do digital content. And so that's actually becoming, you know, as true in the, the fiction and nonfiction independent publishing space as well. Like for the most part, you've got to do ads and that's how you get sales. And so, um, you know, that's the other thing is you really, you've really got to be willing to adapt that model and either charge more per book or, you know, have a book series so that you're advertising the first book. And like, maybe, maybe the first book's a loss leader, but then, you know, the next book and the next book and the next book start to make you your money back. So yeah, it's, um, you know, and the, the challenge with that is that the cash flow becomes, becomes a huge challenge. Mm-hmm. You know, Amazon pays like 90 days out. You've got to pay for your ads, you know, like right now, <laughs> um, if you're going to do them. And so you're, so even if you're, you know, even like aside from the risk, but even if you're, um, 
breaking even or like making good money, you're going to have that lag period um, where you either have to have, you know, you either have to be willing to invest your money up front or um, you have to build it slowly. So that's the other thing that uh, we're, you know, that is kind of true about the marketplace right now. I think that's one of the tricky things to get your head around because a lot of people will look at the production of the book in terms of actual writing, how much an editor might cost, you know, your cover and everything else. But when it comes to advertising, it really is anyone's game to which platform you're using, how much money you invest in that. And and there's no there's no real guarantees on the return that you get because, you know, one one week you could have a really strong um, one sentence catch that brings people in and then the next week that could just drop off completely it just seems quite a i guess an unreliable source of spending your money but at the same time one of the only ways to try and get that extra attention that you don't already have yeah 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 definitely so uh so right right faster i i i've read that book and um i love the the second half is like the the diary of you sort of yeah, fig- yeah, yeah. figuring it out and uh and sort of working through the the, the issues and getting there it's, it's really interesting to see that um uh, and then even once so getting into sort of paid ads and that kind of thing so on the flip side what do you think is like holding most sort of wannabe indie publishers up um you know the thing that holds people back is almost always their um like their fears their limiting beliefs and a lot of times those don't come from just writing they come from other things in their life so like money is a really good place to look for these. Um, if you feel like you never have enough money or you're not making enough money or whatever, um, a lot of the time that is, it's tied to like how you value yourself. And so then when you start to pull that out, like if you value yourself low, you're going to have trouble marketing your book. You're going to have trouble investing money into your book. You're going to have trouble, um, writing your book to begin with. Because, you know, you sit down and you're like, well, am I really good enough? And so and so a lot of that permeates through so many areas Um, and the four areas that I see the most that relate to books. One is around money. And um, I, I think the larger picture with the money is really like looking at this as a business. Um, and if you're not good with your money, then like your business is not going to be good with your money. And that's just the reality. And the other thing, what I want to say about that though, is like, it's okay. Um, we all have that. Like I still have, you know, challenges with money that hurt my business. And so, um, and like, you'll, you'll kind of like those lessons will pop up over and over again until you learn them. (laughs) It's kind of how that works. Um, so yeah, so, um, money is one, the, uh, confidence is a second. So like, you know, there are so many versions of, am I good enough that can hold you back from doing, doing things that are important, like learning advertising or like, um, learning how to write faster, like all, you know, all of that kind of ties into the, am I good enough? Yeah. So what we're talking Um, about here is the, the lowest tier on the the hierarchy of prosperous creation, right? So it's yeah, all the mindset yeah, stuff. absolutely. Yeah, yeah. mindset. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, so the other the other two areas are marketing and um, oh, and then writing habits. So so you've got to clean up. You you definitely you'll know that you've gotten through a lot of the mindset once you clean up your writing habits and your writing speed. <laughs> For most people, that's like the first. That's like the first. Um, 
the first evidence that you've like really cleaned up how you think about this. And then the second is, um, with the, with the book marketing. Cause so many authors are like, I don't want to market my books. Um, <laughs> but yeah, but yeah, once, once you can clean that up, it's like, yeah, you're, you're pretty good now. You're golden. You can make it happen. <laughs> coming, coming back to, um, so you said spoke about, you went from 900 words an hour to sort of over 3000 and, like Luke said in the, the Write Better Fast, you have a physical diary of how that happened. But are you able to give an overview on that? And also, I know there's a little bit in there where you touch on dictation um, and talk about how dictation um, has helped you increase your word counts. Yeah, definitely. Um, so to summarize Write Better Faster, it's pretty much there's like pretty much three or four things. Um, the first is that you got to know what you're writing before you write it. And so what really works for most people is like, um, before you sit down to write your chapter or your scene or whatever, just make an outline. Um, and you can do that. You can like, some people like to do the whole book's outline, like ahead of time. And some people who are more like the pantser, pantser type writers, mm. um, they, they like to do it just like right before they write the chapter. And so, um, either way, however you do it, if you can just make a bullet points uh, or a list of bullet points of what you're going to do, that's going to probably double your writing speed just right out the gate um so it's super powerful yeah because i guess people don't factor that that time in i find that especially when i started writing it's very much you sit down and you want to just get those words out but right i guess what you're saying is if you take that five ten minutes to actually think ahead then the yeah. rest of that time is just definitely more productive yeah it's definitely more productive um and so then the second thing is the uh timed sessions so like at the time I did the Pomodoro sessions, which are 25 minutes on and then five minutes off as a break. And so that's where like, you're just super focused on your task. Um, so having just like that little egg timer or like doing a timer on your phone that again can like double your writing speed. And if you use the two together, you know, you like, I think my writing speed was about 2,400 words per hour, just using those two alone. Um, so it started at 900, went to 2,400. So it's not quite, um, triple, but you know, I, I, I was starting to get pretty close to that 3000. Yeah. And what did you do in those five minute breaks? Just because I know that I'd have the temptation <laughs> just to find things to read or like I'd get distracted yeah. by yeah. Oh my gosh. Um, the best thing you can do is just like stand up and walk around and like, you know, get some more water or like go to the bathroom. If you touch your email, like <laughs> you're, you're just totally screwed. Like you're not gonna, you're not gonna be able to come back. Yes. Um, yeah. Any, anything where you have to think like, don't go to Facebook. Um, it's the worst place to go. You'll be scrolling. <laughs> so yeah, I would say, um, you know, definitely definitely you just take care of like your physical needs um and then come right back and uh yeah keep going <laughs> and then the uh the dictation took you like the, the yeah it's, it's something i've never really done I, I dan have you dictated much um I, I want to get into it the most i've done is told google what to do on my phone but yeah it, it sounds like it sounds like a time investment initially to get started that you get back but um i guess for me it's it's taking that initial time to to get involved with it yeah 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 um yeah with dictation that's what really put me over and uh i fell into dictation accidentally because just like 
I had started typing a lot faster and my hands were just killing me. Um, so yeah, dictation, it's great. And it also, there is a learning curve, but the software, so the software to get, um, is, uh, new it's nuanced software. So it's called dragon natural speaking for windows. And you want to get the professional version, not the student version. Um, and then the other one is dragon dictate for Mac. And so you just get the newest version. It's like a couple hundred bucks. Um, it really helps to have like a podcasting mic, hmm. which, um, which is what I ended up doing. So I, I was trying to do it with just the mic on my computer. It was like not as accurate. And so I, I did a bunch of research and I just ended up getting, um, the one I got was audio technica 2020. So like just, you can get, or you can get the Yeti, like just a basic podcasting mic. Another, you know, it's probably another like 80 to a hundred bucks. Um, so pretty much if you want to get serious about it, you're probably about 300 bucks in the hole. Yeah. Um, but, but you know, it's, it's been worth it for me. The accuracy gets better and better every day. If you want to test it, you can, um, like you said, you can try it on your phone. There's like a million apps that allow you to test it. You can also just like, like if you want to practice, I'm always like, look, your phone does this already. <laughs> like. Like every time you pull up a text, just hit the little microphone instead of like swiping or like, um, you know, typing in stuff and just speak what you want and then hit send. And that's pretty much your practice for it. Or you can do that with email too. Like if you have a short email, you just like, um, speak your email. Does it, does it's definitely it, interesting. Is that, sorry, um, sorry, go, go on, on Luke. You go, you go. Oh, we're now at the same way. Okay, I'll go. Um, now I was just going to say when, because I've only ever done it in short, um, short, short text back to people, and it's normally if I'm cycling along because I cycle to and from work, um, and I find there's, it's probably because I don't do it enough, but there's that block in your head where you suddenly like now I'm saying it out loud. How I speak through text sounds weird. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, it's I I guess it's just a bit of effort in getting over that hump to to make it sound natural because I'm trying to imagine myself actually telling the stories that I tell through my fingers while I don't know like sitting at my desk or walking around the park or something and how how that might translate yeah so um this is a really common thing that people ask me about and my response to it is basically um like people get very attached to the way they sound when they write, <laughs> which I always find interesting. And I'm always, um, my question to them is always like, well, like, how do you know that it's better than <laughs> what, what you're writing with, you know, how do you, how do you know your writing's better? The, the way you type it versus the way you speak it. Like mm -hmm. what if speaking it could bring like another layer or another level of quality to you know, how you think and how you write. Um, and it, and that's what I've seen. So from people who have done, who like commit to it and end up doing it. And there's this great group on Facebook, by the way, um, it's called, um, dragon riders authors dictating. And, um, and hopefully it's still there. Um, cause I know, um, it's by Susan K Quinn. She's the one who started it. And I know she recently closed down her other group, but, um, but anyway, so check, check for it. But it's it's basically like you'll you'll hear from like almost all the people who like really commit to this and start like doing a lot of their drafts by um, dictation that their typing voice and their like speaking voice, they kind of end up coming to the middle 
And um, that's what their drafts end up sounding like. And it, it's it's super interesting. It happens like to almost everybody that I've heard of who does it. Um, and it's just it's just something to think about is like, you know, like a lot of people think like, oh, well, dictation is going to ruin my like writing voice. And it's like, you know, it might actually improve it. Yeah. Um, and it's just and it's just another opportunity really <sighs> is how you can view it. Um, so, yeah. So I. You know, I think I think what you're experiencing is very, very normal and very common. And it is just practice. Right. So like mm. like, for example, getting on this podcast um, and hosting a podcast, probably when you start out, it's awkward to like <laughs> to speak out loud. <laughs> but then you start doing it a lot and you get used to it. And you I know heard I, our early episodes. <laughs> no, I'm saying that because that's how I was. So I've done a bunch of podcast interviews now, but when I first did my podcast interview, I was like, I was so scared and like so nervous <laughs> to do it. So yeah, but yeah, it's it's all just practice. Mm. So my my question about it was just going to be, does it change your writing style? But I was just thinking just then, um, it's only going to make it more natural, surely, especially like the dialogue, because you're speaking as like you're kind of acting it in a way. But um, yeah, so I was just going to actually just ask a little bit more about Prosper's creation and that whole hierarchy um, we mentioned earlier, uh, because I read it and I, it gave me uh, an amazing overview of where where I am on on that sort of hierarchy, where where I need to sort of improve and where um, where I need to sort of start working towards. Like you changed uh, my morning routines because of uh, the mindset uh, um, um, exercises you put in there. So is there anything you just and it's quite it's quite in detail. And people really need to book really need to read the book. But can you just give us a quick like an oversight of what the hierarchy is? Yeah. Um, and the, so something to think about if you're, I mean, I mean, yeah, you can get the book, but we actually just have the audio book and the print book out too. So that's pretty exciting. Um, so the, okay. The hierarchy of prosperous creation, it's basically the, the idea behind it is here's the seven main skill sets that you're going to need or that you're going to grow to build your author career. Um, and so it starts at the bottom with, um, mindset, so, so the three at the bottom are mindset, craft, and rhythm. So rhythm is like what I was saying earlier with like the writing habits and the writing speed. Um, and it's basically like, do you, like rhythm is also like, do you have a production process like that you can, that's repeatable so that you can produce book after book in a fairly consistent manner? Cause once you're able to do that, you can start doing like pre-orders and cause, cause you know, your deadlines, you know how to hit them. And, um, so you can start like having a schedule. And if you look at any of the successful authors, they write to a schedule. They don't say like, okay, I'm going to write this book. And then whenever it's done, I'm going to figure out how to market it. Like they have, you know, their eight books a year that they release or whatever, and they write to that schedule. Um, so, so that's basically the foundation of it. And, um, the, the problem with, with that and with this career in general is that you really have to nail those three. Otherwise you don't end up making any money from it. And so, um, so many of us and like the, the way I figured this out was really through my own experience. Um, because I, like I said, I spent like five years, um, maybe even more than that, not really making any money from the book stuff. And it, um, you know, it was really hard. It was very, you know, I had thought about like, should I give up? Like, am I just not good enough? And then I started kind of cycling in that area. 
um, which is never good for your writing career. The am I good enough question is just like going to totally spiral you into depression. Um, so yeah, so, uh, so I realized, uh, that if people could like see these three areas that they have to work on and if they had like a systematic approach to being able to do it, then they it's like it unblocks them in some way. Um, they're able to kind of just systematically work through them. They're able to get through them much faster. So a lot of people they'll spend like, you know, like I said, like five, seven, 10 years trying to figure this stuff out. Um, and when really like, if you just follow the book, you could pretty, you could be through it in like, you know, six months or less. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so then once you get through that, you like the last, the top four tiers are all marketing. So, you know, that'll be its own thing to get through. But once you're through that third tier of the rhythm tier, you can basically start making money through your books. And, um, and you don't even need like multiple books to do this. You could do it with just like well, I, I guess you do need multiple, you probably need multiple books, but you could do it with just one. Um, and it's, it, it's just like, if that's a goal, then like you want to get through those first three tiers as fast as possible. Yeah. And it's almost like, um, like it's, I, don't, I don't want to say it's obvious, but it's like, so it's the first period kind of like common sense, but it's the kind of common sense that people, when you first get into this, they just overlook. So they think I want right. to, I want to start making how do I set up a mailing list or how do I um, set up Facebook ads when they've not really got the craft sorted or they've not really figured out how to write a novel yet that they're, they're trying to work with like just short stories or, or they're just kind of going about it the wrong way and they're going to sort of end up frustrated. And, and like you said, probably depressed. <laughs> they're further down yeah. the line. Um, so I would totally recommend people reading this book. In fact, it kind of opened my eyes in so, in so many ways. I feel like me and Dan and our business is like between like the, the, the fourth and, four and fifth tier. I think we're still working away. Um, but mm. it is a constant, it's not one of those things where you do this and that's it. You, I think you sorted, right? I mean, I feel like some right. of the stuff you have to revisit and, and realign and readjust, but I would totally recommend this, but it's one of my favorite, there's a lot of indie author books out there, but this is one of the ones that I, I would recommend wholeheartedly and say, you need to read this book. Oh, well, thank you. <laughs> I really appreciate that. <laughs> it's really nice. Also, while we're on um, your sort of growth hacking series, just a bit of a side note that I saw as I was checking your Amazon page, you have one of your books in Spanish um, on your, is it the US page? I was just wondering what the decision behind that was. Yeah, um, it wasn't necessarily <laughs> like a well thought out decision. I'm just gonna be honest. Um, so we we use a service called Babel Cube um, to find uh, translators. And so this this worked really well for some of my, um, fiction romance stuff. Um, and part of it, it was serialized. And so, you know, we would like, we, we had kind of entered a bunch of languages through that. And so then we just, we got this offer to do the nonfiction one. And so we did. And, um, yeah, people always mention it and I'm, I'm like, I don't know that we've sold any of it, um, <laughs> <laughs> or not, not, nothing, nothing <laughs> worth like talking about on the podcast, obviously. Um, but I do, you know, the good thing is that we didn't like, I didn't spend any money on it. Mm. I basically, um, battle cube, it kind of like matches you. It's kind of like ACX, um, which is the audible 
platform yeah, yeah. where it matches you with a narrator. So Babelcube is basically the same thing. It matches you with a translator and then um, it's it like takes the money and then it splits the royalties for you. So, um, yeah, it's probably not doing as well, but a lot of people see it and they're like, ooh, that's super interesting. Yeah, I just found it interesting because didn't know if there was like a decision why that one is on, say, the US page. I mean, is it on the Spanish store as well? Is it on all the stores? Yeah, you know, I don't know. And I have no idea why it's on my US page. I have no idea. Um, it's funny because <laughs> I have a um, I have a team of people who help me now. Um, mostly they help me on my courses and, you know, my programs and that type of stuff. Um, but sometimes, you know, my team has been kind of managing stuff like my author page for some time now. So <laughs> there's like a bunch of stuff that happens that I'm like, I don't know why that person <laughs> decided to put it on there. <laughs> so yeah, I have no idea. It could be on a Spanish page. I don't know. <laughs> the thing is, it, it almost seems to make sense because I guess there's there's a big Spanish community in well across oh, the world. Yeah. So for people who are and then maybe they're naturally speaking Spanish and they go to English speaking countries, that there is you, you think that there might even be some kind of market there. Um, oh sure, yeah. yeah. But you never know. But for looking ahead to future stuff, what is it? What's next on the horizon for for Monica? Well, um, I'm still building my Waters Dark and Deep series, and I'm hoping. So I have. Um, so I kind of relaunched that this year. So I have three novels. I'm hoping to get three more, and then I have a couple novellas. Mm. And so I'm hoping between all of that, that's like, um, you know, that's like 10, 10 books total with like these novellas added in, which is kind of a cheat, but whatever. Um, so, <laughs> but it'll, it'll look like a, you know, a big, like nice juicy series. Um, and so I'm hoping to, uh, basically just get that done, um, hopefully by the end of the year so that I can, start do, being more aggressive about ads. So that was kind of what I was saying earlier is like, you kind of have to like a $5 book often is not going to cut it with an ad, um, in terms of making your money back. So you kind of want to have, you know, like $20 worth of stuff or $30 worth of stuff so that you have room to play with that equation. Mm. Um, so, th so that's, um, what's going on with, for me on the fiction side. And then on the nonfiction side, I, um, I have a new brand called the world needs your book and it's, um, it's at the world needs your and it's focused on, um, it's just focused on helping, uh, mostly, well, I won't say mostly nonfiction. It's focused on helping entrepreneurs, coaches, um, memoirists and novelists and storytellers in general, um, to create their first book. So it's, it might not be as strong for this audience, but, um, it, it, it's like a, um, there's like a 10 month program that takes you through the whole process of like mindset and outline and draft and so on all the way to marketing and business. So, yeah, so that's what I'm working on, on the nonfiction side. Cool. Cool. Uh, okay, Dan, um, are we, are we ready to, to move on to, have you got any more questions you want to ask before we go to the quick fire round? Uh, I think we're coming up to time, so we're going to have to get a quick fire round, I believe. Okay, cool. Okay, Monica, are you ready? I'm. I think so. I'm scared, <laughs> but I'm ready. Okay. Uh, Dan, would you like to take the first question? Sure. Um, number one, who's your favorite member of the Beatles? Oh, I I don't know. <laughs> the main guy. What's the his main name? guy, John or Paul? Yeah. It's going to be one of those guys. Ring us. Uh, okay. I think it's John. <laughs> Uh, would you rather live in a world where you're constantly bored or constantly bombarded with entertainment? 
um, bombarded with entertainment. What's your favorite building? Uh, the Willis Tower in Chicago. Uh, crisps, as in uh, chips in America, or chocolate? Oh, chips. What was the last book you read? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> um, oh, I'm reading. I'm currently reading Eat, Pray, Love by Elizabeth Gilbert. Uh, cool. The one person you'd want to meet? Uh, J.K. Rowling. What's your biggest hobby outside of writing? Um, oh, I like, um, this is weird. I like uh, tar- tarot cards. <laughs> oh, amazing. That's cool. So that comes back to that whole salt thing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> salt. Um, uh, favorite indie writer? Oh, um, oh gosh, I guess, uh, I'm, I'm going to say Chris Fox. What was the worst birthday present you've ever received? Um, ghosts. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. Oh, um, so this is, this isn't a bad birthday present, but it's a funny one. Um, so in college, my boyfriend of like a year he um he came to visit me because he lives somewhere else and he so my birthday is my birthday is right next to valentine's day and he gave me a um a uh like a, a mace keychain <laughs> <laughs> like that was it <laughs> wow. was that was that a course retail for himself <laughs> i don't know no i think it was just like he didn't really like that I was in college, you know, at this yeah. different yeah. campus. And so he's like, to protect yourself. But I was just like, wow, that's like kind of unromantic. It's like, a- <laughs> okay. And the last question, uh, where can we follow you in your work? Um, definitely at the world needs your book.com. Uh, and that's where, you know, so I'm doing this, uh, workshop tour, um, and it's here in the U S but, um, 16 cities and it's, it's, uh, it's, definitely the place to find out more about that and if you want to come out and meet me i guess at my workshop then you can and it's launching tomorrow by the looks of it <laughs> yeah yeah it's well it might be a little delayed because yeah because <laughs> the podcast as, Always as often are, but, but yeah it'll it'll be launching sometime in the next couple of days cool cool okay so just uh very quickly uh a quick thanks to disaster piece for the intro and outro music a cast for hosting the podcast the listeners for listening uh patrons over at patreon.com forward slash hawk and cleaver thanks dan for my uh my co-host for being here because without you i'd be alone and you're once welcome again <laughs> once again a big thank you to monica Lee. now thank you so much for coming on the show thank you monica thank you we hope you enjoyed this episode of the story studio podcast still hungering for some podcast goodness then why not check out our other show the other stories oh and did you know every time you leave us a review in the itunes store a puppy is born cute eh anyway toodle pip <laughs>